0: A few of the things that the Holy Spirit's brought to my mind because I've just been asking Him, uh, you know, what, are, what do you desire, Jesus? What do you desire? One of the scriptures that came up was in Luke 12, where it says, Jesus says, I, I came to cast fire on the earth and how I long or wish that it were kindled. Okay, so, you know, we're going to unpack that in, in a few weeks. Um, this isn't necessarily verbatim, the words. Of Jesus, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, you can attribute it to the Jesus's heart. Is that and, uh, in in Pete, First Peter he says that God doesn't wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So that's another desire of God's heart, of, of Jesus's heart. You know, and sometimes you know when we talk about if it's a desire expressed in the Old Testament. Jesus is the exact representation. He is the perfect representation of the Father. It says He is the image of the invisible God, and so Jesus came to show us the Father. John chapter eight. Philip said that Jesus just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, have, "Have I been with you so long, Philip, that you haven't seen the Father?" I, and, you know, Jesus' point was: you, you see me, you see the Father, and so. This morning, I want to look at that that scripture in John seventeen verses twenty two through twenty six, and this this phrase, "Father, I desire," and I think so many times we can, if we if we are really looking to love on the Lord and, and to love Him and to bless Him, is that we obviously express our desires, our concerns to him, the things that uh, we you know, our worries, our burdens, all those types of things, because the Bible tells us to do that thing. So, you, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Cast all your burdens upon the Lord because he cares for you. So, we do those things. But part of our conversation also needs to be Jesus, what do you desire? What do you want? In this situation, you know, maybe you've got a relational conflict or you, a relational situation. Jesus, what is your desire for this situation? What's your desire for my finances? What's your desire for my family? Whatever the case may be. And but I want us to look at what He's already expressed as His desires. And so, John 17, we're going to read that together, verses 22 through 26. So Jesus is talking to the father and he says the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So, this first part, it says the glory which you have given me. So, what is the glory of Jesus? The glory that Jesus has been given has now been given to us. So, now we need to define what that is. What has, what exactly has been given to us? Because glory is kind of like, if you just, big cloud, I mean, what is it? You know, like... It's it's kind of ambiguous, so we need to break it down. So Jesus actually defines in his words what his glory is. And so you look at John, you don't have to turn here, but John chapter seven, verse 39 says, but he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, so what happened before the Holy Spirit was poured out? Jesus was crucified, and he was resurrected. All right, and so part of the glory of Jesus was the crucifixion, right? You go to John chapter 12, verse 16. He says, it says, these things his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Again, talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection. John chapter 12, verse 23, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Now, Jesus has an interesting way of glorifying himself by choosing to hang on a cross and be publicly humiliated, to be accused of crimes which he did not commit, to be misunderstood, to to suffer injustice, and here he's saying that this is how he was glorified. So then you, we we look at uh, Philippians two, which we'll in a second, but it says that he Jesus became fully man, while remaining fully God and embraced weakness. And this is something that is very contrary to human nature is to embrace weakness. We're always propping ourselves up in, in some way or defending ourselves, you know, making excuses or these types of things because it, we, we try to hide weakness or we're trying to we're just trying to hide things. It says men love the darkness rather than the light, and so because we we try to hide things we 're scared of being seen as weak, then we and we interpret weakness as inferiority. But here you have Jesus, fully God, fully man, embracing weakness, coming as an infant. <laughs> Being raised by people he helped create on help create, the Father. You know, all these things that just kind of blow your mind. Standing before Herod who, and Pilate who are mocking him. People calling crucify him. I mean, he saw these people from the beginning, of, before the foundation of the world, right? He he knew of these people and and yet still chose to love them and us. So he chose to become a servant while being God. And he suffered the most horrible death imaginable. And because of this, God decided to honor him above every other name. And so we're gonna read Philippians chapter two, where it says, have this attitude in yourselves. All right, Paul, uh, Paul saying, this is how you need to think. Attitude, this is how, how, this is how you approach things, okay? That's your attitude, right? How you approach something. So have this approach, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So what that means is he didn't use it to his advantage. You remember when he he told uh, Pilate, I believe he said, you know, I could have like 10,000 angels here if I wanted them, right? So he could have used his God advantage, but he chose not to. So he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, the lowest of the low in society being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Philippians 2 is is framing Jesus' glory. All right, so this is the glory of Jesus right here, what, what this is describing. So, Jesus became obedient to the point of death because he didn't fear death. What does Hebrews say about fearing death? It says that it makes you a slave. It says, Do not, he says, These who have submitted to the fear of death, making themselves slaves again. Why should we not fear death? Because we've got resurrection life. This isn't the only life, right? This, This is like, the internship for eternity internships last you know 1 to 2 years and then you got maybe you know 60 more years of living after that this is the internship for eternity this is you know when jesus says when if you're faithful in a small thing you'll be faithful with much and you'll be given much he's not only talking about in this life which which will will happen and can happen but he's also talking about in the age to come, like the rewards, even the things that God's gonna give you, put you, uh, you in charge of, and, and things of that, of that nature when there's a new, new heavens and a new earth and Jesus is reigning from Jerusalem. So, for this reason, and the reason is what we just described, not considering God, Equality with God, something to be grasped, emptying himself, becoming a bondservant, made in the likeness of men, becoming obedient to the point of death. For that reason, God highly exalted him. Here comes what we think of as is the glory part, right? Exaltation, celebration, honor, glory, right? And but what a lot of people don't understand is that there is, a, there is the crucifixion that came first. And so Jesus patterned our life for us. And, and sometimes we, we hear the gospel message and it's couched in terms of like, and I've literally heard it, heard it presented this way. It says, Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. I'm not saying those things aren't true. He will help you. Be. Like, because you, if you, follow, you obey Jesus, you're going to make wiser decisions, right? <laughs> so it's true. But, it's, but when you're, you're telling people that who do not know the Lord, then you're not setting them up for what the truth is and what maybe their journey is going to be. And so whenever I gave my first gave my really surrender to the Lord... I probably I felt like the way I describe it is I had a month of just peace that I'd never had before, and then I went into like some serious like warfare stuff, second month in where i'm I'm like uh you know there's devils appearing in my room and things like that, and so that was second month in so and then I was in, in my prayer life. I would also have um, anytime time I closed my. So there was, a, there was warfare when, on my prayer life. Any time I closed my eyes, I would be flooded with all these images that, if you ever want to ask me in private, I'll tell you. But it, it was it was horrible. And you know, I'm, I'm so I'm dealing with that. Any time I close my eyes in prayer. There's warfare in my prayer life. There's warfare when I'm going to sleep. There was some warfare in relationships. And so I got got thrown in in the middle of like, are you going to die? Another another thing that had, so uh, right then, this is the summer of 2000, and, and like I said, Jesus started killing things off that needed to die pretty quickly. One of the things God actually had me do was a 40-day TV fast. And this was the fall of 2000. And I remember I I told the Lord, I said, you know, uh, this is Georgia football season, right? Because prior to that, if Georgia football was on, this was before the the ages of DVR. If, if, uh, you know, my brother had been mortally wounded or something like that, I was just like, I man, you're just gonna have to hang on. To, you know, step over and I'm on the way to the TV because the Georgia Bulldogs are playing. I mean, it was that serious. Like, you don't don't get in between man the game, So, I did a 40 day TV fast where I didn't watch TV for 40 days, and it was and it broke that thing off of me where I, I had to I had to be. In, I mean, it was literally an, an ivory. and so. That was when I was a baby. When I was a baby in, in Christ, and he started, He's starting to kill things that are of this world that are not that are not going to be hanging around in the age to come. Okay, and He get, and, and it's one of the and what God does is the things that we think that that are idols. So it's like it's not that God has a problem with Georgia football. It that he has a problem when Georgia football has you. <laughs> he has a problem when entertainment has you, or money has you, or whatever the thing is, has you. When you're serving that thing, not when it's serving you. So, like part of the reason why why do we fast sometimes? It's not only for we, we fast because it says, you know, Jesus said, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. The context of when he's talking about fasting is you don't put new wine in old wineskins. So the fasting creates a new wineskin for God to put new wine in you, to to give you a new revelation, a new impartation of who he is, of his character, of of revealing who he is to you. And so fasting creates this new wineskin where God can put the new things in. All right? Paul also says... I beat my body and I make it my slave. So what, it, what does he mean by that? He talks about the appetite of the, of the stomach and, and these types of things. So, we, so sometimes we fast because we tell our bodies, our bo- you're going to serve me. I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to serve every appetite and every thing that you desire and want. My body serves me. So that's another aspect of fasting. And I remember, and you just, you know, if you're, if you're brand new to fasting, I just say just, just like skip one meal. Just start there, just skip one meal. Because when I first started fasting, I skipped breakfast and lunch, and then I would eat dinner, and I was just like, man, that was tough. And it, and it was for me at that time. So it's not, it's not like, God's not like, Oh, uh, you only skip two meals. He's he's looking at the desire of your heart. Right? And somebody could fast for 14 days and you fast for half a day. And God and and the level of obedience it took is about is almost the same. You know what I'm saying? Like God just doesn't He's not comparing, even though I just compared. And so, but uh you get what I'm trying to say. So So God exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Again, this is the glory, the exaltation. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is glorified. He is exalted. He is honored. He will be honored among all men and women. But the, the cross came first. So then Jesus says, I am them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Unity in the church is one of those things that has been, the church has been striving for uh, in certain seasons, certainly. You know, maybe you go to a city and they, and they really want unity in the church or you hear, you come across individuals that are really passionate about we, what we need is unity in the church because then we'll be uh, everything that Jesus describes here, that the world will know that he was sent by God, that the world will see the love that we have for one another and be even turned by that. Turned towards God by the love that we have for each other, but unity doesn't happen. But because like we go, we get in the room and we sit in the same room together, it doesn't happen. Because we have like this, a worship night together, it happens. Whenever it says we're unified by one spirit, one mind, one voice, and there's only one way to have one mind, to have one spirit is a people that are submitted. Truly and wholly submitted to the Holy Spirit. People that are, are have the mind of Christ, and so um, it's like I said, you know, there's there's time. Sometimes I get even now, you know, like I, I'm on Twitter, and I, you know, there's guys I f- I follow in theology and other areas of life, basketball stuff like that. Because now I'm coaching basketball. In case y'all didn't know, you can ask me about it later, but. Um, and some of the some of the arguments are over egalitarian issues, complementarian issues, infant baptism. I'm like, guys, are we are we and I have opinions on all of those things. But I'm like, is this really what we're like arguing about right now? Like in the midst of everything that's going on in the world? And so Jesus, he's praying for the unity that can only come, like I said, from a people who are united through obedience to the Holy Spirit. And this unity, so unity can't be done out of co- coercion. It can't be done out of fear. It can't be done out of compromise. Unity can't be done out of coercion. It can't, be, it can't happen out of fear. And it can't happen out of compromise. The only way we can have unity is to have an identity. Identity in Christ under one man, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one faith, just like the scripture says. And he says, he goes on to say, that the world may know that you sent me. So we would, when the church is unified, the world's going to know that Jesus was sent by the Father. And that he loves us as the Father has loved Jesus. And so, what if the most powerful evangelism tool is a church that truly demonstrates love for one another? Like, we're not talking about even loving the lost, we're talking about loving one another. That, that I, I believe that that is what Jesus is saying. He says, they will know. He said, that's what he says. They will know that you sent me when they love each other. So give them the love that you have for me, Father. And so we need to pray in that way. He said, Lord, we, help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a, it's actually a sign and a wonder. There's there's people that love each other that sacrifice for each other. What was the early church doing? They were selling their possessions. They were sharing meals. It was radical uh, preference of others, right? Radical hospitality. You ever heard that? Let's <laughs> get radical hospitality. You know, but that's but really that's what it is. Radical hospitality is radical generosity. I believe that generosity, like there's two, thanksgiving and generosity are like two of, two markers of maturity in in, in the Lord. People who are really thankful and people who are really generous with their time, with their money, with their energy, they're mature in the Lord. They know because those, that's the nature of the Lord. Because thankfulness is what is bred by humility, recognizing that something has been given to you, that you don't have yourself. So that's why we say thank you when somebody gives us something and we receive it, we say thank you, because it's, you recognize it's something that you did not have before. And so a thankful people are a dependent people, a thankful people are dependent people upon the Lord. And then generosity is another marker because you understand, you really know who your father is. I go to mom and dad's house. I crash the pantry. I don't even have to ask permission, right? Am I, I, I just go in there and start eating, right? Because it's, it's my father's house, it's my mom's house. I know that I have access to their stuff. And, and they love it that way. They wouldn't have it any other way. They're not telling me, Travis, ask for permission before you eat some crackers, right? So when we're generous, we know that we're provided for, that we're cared for, that we're loved. We don't have this scarcity mindset. We don't have a, a mindset that, of lack. And it's because we, we know when you're confident in the love and the care that God has for you, it breeds generosity. So the most powerful evangelism tool being unity in the body, it can be difficult because sometimes there's times for a correction, there's times for a rebuke, right? First Corinthians chapter 5, 11. Paul says, actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he's an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard, excuse me, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, why do you think Paul is saying that? Is that person of the same mind as the others? No, no. So he's doing. This person is doing their own thing. They're not thinking about the body. (laughs) Um, Graham Cook. There was a guy who was uh, having sex outside of marriage, and this church that he was on part of the uh, leadership staff with, they confronted the guy and "Hey, man, we've we." Understand that this is happening uh, we, we just are, we're here to ask you to repent and turn from that and The guy didn't want to repent, but he's just like listen I, I, I Love Jesus. I don't think this is wrong. I don't love Jesus man. He says I, I love Jesus. I, I just don't think I'm doing anything wrong And so Graham told the guy he said actually you you don't love Jesus because Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. He said, sir, I, th- I think you're misled there. You actually don't love Jesus. And, and so that's what I'm saying. So th- when, you, when you see this behavior, that's like, you get, you th- it's really self-centered and you throw Jesus in there. <laughs> it's not, you're trying to get your way. The love of Jesus is marked by... Sacrifice is marked by laying your life down. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 14-15. Again, Paul's writing this. He says, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So you're saying, listen, discipline him, but do it as you would a brother. Do it as somebody that you love. You're doing this because you love them, <laughs> right? And sometimes I think in, our, in the American church especially that we just, we just have a hard time with that because there's such a value on kindness, which is good. It's good to be kind. But there is actually, ex- but I think we've put kindness as the highest value over everything when actually the truth is the highest value. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and it will set you free. That's what sets people free. And obviously you don't want to do it in a spirit of hatred or condemnation and things like that. But it's, you still do not compromise the truth. I'm gonna tell a story about Jessica there was a girl she was discipling years ago who was in, getting in a sexual relationship with her boyfriend and, and Jessica confronted her about it. I was like, listen, this is not gonna end well for you. This is, these types of things happen when you get in this kind of relationship. And the, the girl got mad and the parents got mad and it was really hard on Jessica and Probably 10, 10 years later, this girl comes to Jessica and says, I just wanted to let you know and thank you for even, even when I didn't receive it those years ago, I it said it, it helped turn me back to the Lord. And the parents said, basically said the same thing. They thanked Jessica for years ago for saying that. But, but Jessica had to go through 10 years of like, Um, basically feeling like she was, you know, maybe misunderstood, which is fine. That's kind of part of what you sign up for as a Christian. And, but it was, it's not easy. It's not easy. And, And maybe, I'm just saying you have to be willing to kind of go through that kind of stuff. Because ultimately what you're doing is you're obeying the Lord first. It's for Jesus. Everything we do is... Lord, what do you think about this? Not what does anybody else think about this? So then he says, Father, I desire. And that's the phrase I kept hearing. He said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus is saying, I want them, to, his, his desire, I just see Jesus like, he's like, Father, I desire that they be with me where I am. Now, this is kind of the dual reality that we live in as Christians is because the disciples were like a stone's throw away in the, in the garden. So they technically they were like with him. But Jesus is also, Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians 2 also says that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, right? So we're here on the earth and we're in heaven at the right hand of God. So our spirit man is is with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus is longing for this day where there's unhindered relationship between him and his people. He's longing for the day where he could come up. Travis, how you doing, buddy? Chris, what's going on? Where he can actually put his arms around us. <laughs> and there's days, I, I have times where I, I just, I was like, Jesus, I just wish I could like give you a hug. Like I just want to put my arms around Jesus. Like I don't want to, you know, I don't want just the, even this. I want something more than the sense of his presence. I want to like put my arms on Jesus. And there's coming a day for that. That's like one of the things I look forward to in heaven. I just want to hug Jesus. And Jesus has the same longing. I believe that longing is even in my heart. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to literally put his arms around us. And hug us and touch us. and, And show affection. And so he's longing for that day when, you know, he's he's vanquished sin, he's vanquished death. And all of it, all of his work has come to the fullness of its fruition. Well, he's reigning in Jerusalem and there's no more evil. He's wiping away every tear from our eyes. And there's no injustice anymore that every single person is done, has justice done on their behalf. But there's nobody corrupting governments, there's nobody corrupting corporations, there's nobody corrupting even on the more local scales. That there's no injustice, That there's the right thing is being done. And more than that, that people know his love and there's zero barrier between that love and who he wants it to hit. So Jesus, this, he's saying, I desire it. He longs to be with us in the flesh. And and, and that's part of when he comes back and returns, that's what's going to happen. Jesus in the flesh as the God-man, King of kings, Lord of lords, ruling over the nations, people Isaiah 2 coming to Jerusalem to see Jesus. Isaiah 2, you can read it. He says, The world has not known you. A righteous father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you have sent me. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, You adulteresses, do you not know That friendship with the world is hostility toward God. So why is James calling the audience adulteresses? It's because with the bride of Christ, we're betrothed to the Lord. We're we're his. We're not supposed to be, have any other lovers. So therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. So what does it mean to be a friend of the world? I would say it means to honor and cherish and value the things that the world values. So what are some of the things that the world honors and cherishes? It cherishes power and prestige. Money, which is how you acquire some of those things. It's actually it is. It's really simple. Jesus said you can't serve God on money. And what he means is that money can't have you. Let money serve you, just like we're talking about. Let your body serve you. Let this thing serve you. Let money serve you. Listen, I I study. I'm no I'm financial wizard by any means. Like I'm. Do, I try to learn about finances, though. So it's not like, we avoid money, money is evil. It's the love of money is evil. And years ago when I lived in Texas, I was like, Jesus, why why is there so many scriptures on money? Because there's a lot. And I felt like the Lord spoke back to me. He said, because it's my chief competition. And, and and, And then he does say that. God versus money. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of the setup. So we don't cherish the things that the world cherishes. We don't, um, you know, we celebrate men and women when they, they do certain exploits, but maybe their home life is in shambles or something. You know what I'm saying? Like they've got their families crushed in the pursuit of this thing that the world celebrates. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. (laughs) That's being part of the world. Love your family. Mother Teresa, I'm paraphrasing, but she has a quote. She says, she says that if you want to really transform the world, love your family. And Mother Teresa, uh, she's almost, could have some things in the scriptures. Almost. I'm not saying she's there, but almost. Almost. And he says, your name known? (coughs) I've made your name known to them and will make it known so that love which you love me may be in them and I in them. So when any time he says, you know, we pray in Jesus' name or I've made my, your name known, (laughs) it's not this thing where he's like, hey, remember, God, his name's Yahweh. His name's Yahweh, all right? Job done, Father. I told him your name. No, it's he demonstrated what I said earlier. Is the character and nature of God. He represented the heart of the Father. The character and nature of God is what your name means. And so, um, Hosea had to name two of his children Lo Ruhami, if I'm remembering it correctly, which means not my people. <laughs> And then he had two more children later on that was Ruhami, which is my people, because when you're a prophet in the Old Testament, your life gets to be a living example for it. it gets to be like a visual symbol for the message. And so your name meant something. David, David means beloved one. Yeshua, Joshua. God is salvation. So the name was is an important thing and, and I've got Hebrews chapter one there but that's it says God having spoken long ago to the fathers and in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days spoke to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom Also, he made the world's, who is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature. And so that's that last sentence right there is what Jesus ends John chapter 17 on. And what I want us to do uh, before we leave is just to pray for pray for unity in these area churches and so some of us you know uh, there there might be a a church that is close to your heart in this area and or you just there's a church whatever that you want to pray for and so uh, I just want us to spend like five minutes five yeah five minutes just kind of praying into that for area churches and so um, maybe if we could do Let's just like do two groups. So Frank, would you join them? And then uh, Christy, if you come over here, that'd be one group. But we just want just to pray for churches. And so like if, you know, some of the churches that pop to my mind, I think of Broadway. That's where I grew up going to church. Um, some of the pastors I know, Sean C, Athens Church. Watkinsville First Baptist, my kids go, you know, just whatever church is on your heart, just, just, you can pray for these churches. And you don't have to like go through and pray, just, y'all just say, hey, what church is on your heart? And, and say that church's name instead of like praying for each church individually, but, and, and then you can, y'all can all pray for those churches. But go ahead and, and, and do that. We'll take a few minutes.